I've been getting in my steps, lifting weights, and now I'm trying really hard to get as much protein as I can. That's why I'm excited about trying Clean Simple Eats because they're just that, clean and simple. Their protein powder is always grass-fed with no seed oils or artificial ingredients. It's third-party tested and non-GMO and gluten-free. They've got 26 delicious all-natural flavors. You really can't go wrong with any of them. They've got Simply Vanilla and other unique flavors like cookies and cream, caramel toffee, and even cinnamon roll. I have a feeling my entire family may just like Clean Simple Eats protein powder, and they're probably going to use it every day because it's so easy to put into your milk or a recipe my daughter loves to bake or in a smoothie, which my son loves to drink almost every day. You can It's amazing really in any form. Visit cleansimpleeats.com and use the code ASKLISA20 at checkout for 20% off your first order. That's cleansimpleeats.com with the code ASKLISA20 for 20% off your first order. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This is Ask Lisa, a podcast to help people understand the psychology of parenting, now in the midst of a pandemic. Psychologist Dr. Lisa Damore, author of two New York Times best-selling parenting books, takes your questions. And I'm co-host Rena Ninen, a journalist and mom of two. Some of what we talk about comes from raising children ourselves. Most of the time, I'll be getting answers to your parenting questions. So send your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. Episode 19, How Will the Pandemic Affect My Child Long-Term? I just can't believe we're entering the 10th month of this pandemic now. I know, I know. One of the things I think about, I bet you think about this too. Like, remember in the middle of March when everybody's like, okay, three weeks, like, just like, we're just gonna hunker down, we're gonna <laughs> yeah. ride this out. Yeah. If somebody had told us in March yeah. that we would be here now still, I don't, I don't even know what I would have made of that information. Yeah, some things are best left not told in the moment. <laughs> you don't um, wanna know. And and imagining that like not having toilet paper was the worst at that moment yeah. that are, was like the worst of our fears and so it's just hard even thinking ahead like we're ho- hopefully trying to merge but we know the next three months are going to be tough yeah they're going to be really tough and we're coming to terms with that it's a tough one yeah we got a letter um, from a mom who's sort of talking about the uh, lack of optimism and and how do you push forward in this and she says dear Lisa. I feel like I should be optimistic about the news that we'll have vaccines next year, but I've never been more sad and unable to motivate. My kids were lucky enough to go to school this fall, but have now shifted to remote learning. My husband lost his job, and while we are not living paycheck to paycheck, it is affecting us. Basic things I find hard to finish, but my biggest worry is, how will quarantine affect the development of my children? Beyond their schoolwork, what are they missing that they will never get back? How can I make up for us being locked in? The sadness, the feeling that we are never getting out of this moment. I worry they pick up on my sadness. What should I be looking out for? I'm so grateful for your advice each week. It really has helped me get through this fall. Thank you. 
Oof. There's a lot in here, isn't there? Yeah. You know? There's a lot. And it's interesting, Rena. I'm starting to hear this question all of a sudden about what's the long-term impact. And part of me wonders if it is not a coincidence that we can now ask that when we start to see where the exit might be. Mm. You know, that even though the vaccine's like, we know it's going to take time, I almost wonder if people didn't feel like they could really ask this question until we knew that there is a real end date and we can see it somehow, you know, on the horizon. We still know, though, we are in this for at least a year in total. Mm -hmm. And I think we're Mm -hmm. realistically in it for a year plus several months. And we do need to be wondering what this really means for kids. So when you're looking at it from a psychological standpoint, what do you have to worry about? You know, I think about even the kids who are starting their college freshman year, they're not going to get that back. We don't know how many more years this could affect us and the things that have happened this year that could have long-term effects. What are they? Some some kids have lost parents. Yeah. I mean, so there's like some huge stuff. And, and I have to say, earlier in the pandemic, I was like, oh, kids are resilient. Like, they'll bounce back. It'll be okay. And I still think that's true for most kids. But I mean, let's be honest. I mean, this is going to be many, many months, well over a year. There will be material impact. And for some kids, it will be big, obvious stuff. Like there will be kids who do not go to college because of this, Mm. who were on a path to go to college, who do not go to college. That is huge. You know, that's beyond the scope of what I can address as a psychologist. But we have to say that, right? And there will be kids whose lives circumstances are dramatically altered, bluntly, irreparably damaged, right? Mm -hmm. Either it's the death of a parent or the death of both parents I've heard about in some horrible situations. There are things at that scale, they're hard to even comprehend, but I think we have to really acknowledge them before we even get to the more, you know, probably more likely broader generic things that we want to think through also. So can you name it? Can you say what are the specific things that you really feel you just can't say, oh, time's going to heal that one? Yeah, yeah, I I can. Um, I worry about mental health disorders. I worry mm-hmm. about more kids, more teenagers having diagnosable depression. I worry about more kids, more teenagers meeting diagnostic criteria for anxiety disorders. So not just sadness, not just expectable healthy anxiety, but having it go to a degree where we would say, okay, this is not normal and expectable levels of mood disturbance. Like we are now into pathology. We are now into Um, something that's grounds for concern. Hmm. When you look at this, what's your response mechanism? Like, Like, what can we do to help in these situations? Well, if we think about, like, what to do if we're worried that our kid is depressed or anxious, you know, I think do not pass, you know, do not, what do they say? Do not pass go, do not collect $200, like go right to your pediatrician, go right to your healthcare provider and get help. And, and I just, I want to say this to, you know, over and over again, we can treat depression. We know how to help. In terms of anxiety, it's so important to always remember that avoidance feeds anxiety. So Mm. parents can head off an anxiety disorder if they don't let their kid avoid the things they fear. So, 
not kids don't start with full-blown anxiety disorders. What often happens is they're frightened of something and then they avoid it. And then the thing they're frightened of feels even scarier. And then they're more likely to avoid it. And then it blossoms into a full-blown anxiety disorder. And this is one, Rena, I think about this a lot. When we come back together and it's mm-hmm. time for us to live normally, mm-hmm. there are going to be a lot of kids and also plenty of grown-ups who need help not avoiding the world. You know, we've done it for so long. Yeah. So another thing we can do to actually prevent long-term trouble is at the first opportunity when it is safe to re-engage, we got to do it. We've got to help our kids do it, even if we are tense about it. Because if we continue to avoid when we can engage again, then you are basically setting the stage for an anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. You know, this mom in this letter says, she, she just wants to know, what else am I missing beyond your academics? What should we be concerned about for the needs of our children that'll help them function better in the coming years? There are things beyond academics. I think we should rest on academics, though, for a minute, right? Because, okay. you know, if we're thinking about what does this mean for lots of kids? So the good mm-hmm. news is it sounds like this mom feels like the academic piece is not the big problem. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not the thing that's driving her concern. And that's good. And actually, I want to rest on that for a minute because schools are doing amazing work even in the pandemic. Kids are learning even in the pandemic. And that's amazing. Like, that actually is an incredible Mm -hmm. thing. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things, sort of as an aside, I am... I was in touch with a friend this week who I haven't talked to for a while. And I was like, hey, I haven't heard from you. Just want to check in. How are you doing? And he wrote back and he was like, oh, it's such a hard time in the country. But honestly, I've had an incredibly productive year. Mm. And I thought, that's really good for him to to say that and to feel that. And I think that's actually true for a lot of people that they're like, I have worked a lot this year and gotten a lot done. And it helped me a bit to hear him text that to me or to read that text because I think when things are so hard, it's easy to feel like, oh, man, like I just feel like crushed by all that we've done or all we're trying to do. And that reframe really helped. So the reality is a surprising number of children have had an incredibly productive school year, and mm. we should actually celebrate that for a minute. Like that's right. a big deal. True. Okay. But so then who do I worry about in school? Um, plenty of kids. I worry about kids who really don't do well online. And there are plenty of kids who just for whom the online environment is not effective. I worry about kids where we're missing learning disorders and not mm-hmm. picking up learning disorder diagnoses that we would pick up under normal conditions and we would intervene and get that kid shored up in their learning. I think we're going to see kids who miss several beats because of a, you know, a missed diagnosis or a delayed diagnosis. And then, you know, we just have to think about really in broad scope, you know, there are kids who just don't go to school now, right? Where that's right. They just can't access school or the pressing needs of daily living crowd out school. Like they're just in the hierarchy of what needs to be addressed. School is low. So, so glad for this mom that school's not a pressing concern. If we think broadly, I think for plenty of families it is. And I think if we think as a country, we're probably going to see the academic impact of this for years. Wow. 
And you see that divide, you know, uh, for so many of us, we're lucky to have kids in school and you, you probably don't think about the impact that's having on other children. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back on the Ask Lisa podcast. EarthBreeze EcoSheets look just like a dryer sheet, but instead of being a dryer sheet, they're in fact an ultra-concentrated liquidless laundry detergent. It's really the best of all worlds. EarthBreeze is tough on stains and odors while being kind to the planet and to your skin. Personally, I get a huge kick out of using EarthBreeze. I love the fact that it takes up less space, is better for the environment, and yet it leaves my clothes smelling so good and it gets them so clean. Here's the bottom line. Making a positive impact in the world doesn't have to come at a cost to you. My clothes are clean, they smell great, and I feel like I actually did something good not just for my laundry, but also for the earth. Right now, my listeners can receive 40% off EarthBreeze just by going to earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. That's earthbreeze.com slash asklisa to cut out single-use plastic in your laundry room and claim 40% off your subscription. earthbreeze.com slash asklisa. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. We spend a lot of time teaching our kids please and thank you. But one thing I've realized I haven't spent a lot of time teaching my children is how to be financially responsible. We started using the Greenlight app and it's made a difference in helping them have that conversation about money and to really understand how it can affect their lives. Greenlight's a debit card and a money app that's made for families. I can send money to my kids, keep an eye on their spending and their savings. I didn't think I would need this app, but my kids are absolutely loving it and they're getting the concept of what it means to save. I love the lessons they're learning. I love the games they're playing. I love that they are being educated at a younger age that you need to learn how to save. Sign up for the Greenlight app today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash asklisa. That's greenlight.com slash asklisa to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash asklisa. I'm all for healthy habits, but I don't trust quick fixes. This is why I love Daily Harvest. They take all of the work out of eating well, and all I have to do is enjoy. Daily Harvest makes it so easy for me to eat in the nutritious and delicious ways that I like. They take the planning, the prep, the cleanup out of cooking, and they deliver meals that are packed with vegetables and fruits straight to my door. The other thing I love about them is that it's not the same old boring meals. I love their dragon fruit and lime smoothie. I also love their butternut squash and rosemary soup. They also have this wonderful herb squash and asparagus risotto. Create healthy habits that last with Daily Harvest. For a limited time only, go to dailyharvest.com slash asklisa to get $30 off your first box plus free shipping. That's dailyharvest.com slash asklisa for $30 off your first box and free shipping. dailyharvest.com slash ask Lisa. Welcome back to the Ask Lisa podcast. So Lisa, when you look at people who are incredibly resilient, you Mm -hmm. know, who have made it through really tough times, you know, this other show that I do, The Rebound on YouTube, that we did an interview with a Sandy Hook mom who is an incredible inspiration on how she was able to pivot and rethink her life. And I think about that in your worst moment, which so many of us are really having tough moments, right? What really works in the research you've seen? Lisa, what really makes a difference for the people who have been resilient? How have they managed to become resilient? 
Oh, okay. I, it's so hard for me to hear Sandy Hook without just being like, oh, I'm so yeah. glad you're doing work on that. And it's so inspiring to hear the stories that come out of She's it. She's remarkable. And I'll put yeah. that in the show notes as well. It's a great story. If people need inspiration, I know Sandy Hook sounds like, oh, I can't. But it is a great story, her story. So, okay. This is really powerful, what we know about resilience in kids. Okay, so I know we're worried about long-term effect on kids, but there is some research that is really, really promising, and I want us to think about that. So in psychology, we actually don't have any pandemic research because the last (laughs) pandemic was like when psychology was a baby field and we weren't doing giant research studies. But what we do have is that starting in around the 70s, there started to be a lot of interest in studying kids under chronic stress conditions. And then noting that when they looked at kids under chronic stress conditions, which is, you know, we talk about the pandemic in terms of chronic stress, the chronic stress that we've studied are things like, you know, really intense poverty or ongoing maltreatment. I mean, like really, really difficult circumstances. And in some ways, more difficult than what a lot of families are contending with right now. And what they found in that research when they were looking at kids under those conditions is that they always were able to find a handful of kids who were okay Mm. or, like, thriving, like, actually Mm. thriving. And you're looking at the kid's circumstance, and you're like, you have no right to be in as good a shape as you are. Like, what's the story? Mm -hmm. Like, what's Mm -hmm. the deal? And so there's just this fabulous body of research trying to answer that question. And the summary of that question, like the headline on the question, it comes from a researcher named Ann Maston, who's a psychologist. And she wrote a paper where she talked about the fact that these kids benefited from what she called ordinary magic, like ordinary magic, things that happened at home, protective processes that basically shielded the kids from the broader strain from the big stressor that was sort of otherwise dominating their lives. Hmm. And it's so cool because that's actually what we've learned in the research is that if you want to see kids be resilient in the face of long-term stressors, right? Like that's the question we're asking right now. It basically comes down to what the parent does to basically guard them in that context. And when she was talking about ordinary magic, Rena, there's three things, three things that she was like, this is what the parents were doing that got kids through. And it wasn't always a parent. Maybe it was like an aunt or an uncle or some loving grown up. Mm-hmm. So the first thing was they were nuts about that kid. Like that kid had love. Like they had an adult who was like, had like, I love the term, like an irrational attachment to that kid. Right. And, yeah. and this is what every kid needs is some <laughs> grown up who's yeah. like, kiddo, you, you know, the, the sun yes. rises and sets on you, right? Wow. And so what we find is that's almost like, you know, I'm getting this vision from the Incredibles, you know, like when Violet puts up the shield, you know, like, <laughs> you know, it's like a force field, like that, that irrational yeah. attachment, like creates a force field around that child, even in the context of other stuff going so wrong. So the first thing, the first, you know, kind of ordinary magic process that we want to focus on is having a really good working relationship with your kid, you know, like really being in there and and just enjoying them as much as you can and, you know, providing that warmth and having fun with them, even in the pandemic, is not only fun, but we know is connected to mm. buffering over the long haul. 
So when you're saying buffering, it's not shielding them from the reality of what this is, like turning the news off saying we can't talk about coronavirus numbers. You're saying like creating a shield with love and warmth that envelops them could really help them be resilient. Yeah. And the data tell us this. I mean, that's what's so cool about these studies is like, okay, well, they didn't study a pandemic, but they definitely studied some pretty long-term ugly business. And usually long-term ugly business that went for the duration of a kid's Mm. childhood, right? So we're not even talking like, you know, let's say a 16-month yucky, right? Like we're talking like, you know, an entire childhood. Wow. Okay. Then the second thing, when we interviewed these kids, we're like, okay, kiddo, you seem to have come out like in surprisingly good shape, like mm-hmm. what's the story? They were like, I, I had something that I was doing that felt meaningful. Mm. Like I felt like I had a purpose. sense of purpose, exactly. Like, and whether it was like they were really serious about school or they were really serious about a sport or they were really serious about religion or they were really serious about something, but they felt that they were about something bigger. They felt that there was something that they could work at and control, and it was important or valuable. And if you think about it in a way, you know, it's like the pandemic goes all around us, and it feels so out of control all the time. I have found my work to be really Mm -hmm. centering and protective for me. To have something to focus on and move forward. Yeah, and to get to the end of the day and be like, okay, the numbers in my community are terrible, but I did accomplish this, right? Yes, yes. So it works for kids the same way, right? Like, you know, I don't get to go to school, but I just read a book, right? I mean, Mm. it's the same thing. So, you know, helping kids to be about something. Even if it's something as simple, you know, my son loves flag football you know, and so they play flag football or whether I know video games, not so great, but, you know, he's been getting better at doing this and focuses on it and does it every day. Is it ideal? Would I rather have him do something else? Sure. But he feels like, okay, and my daughter is obsessed with baking. She just loves to cook <laughs> like gingerbread like every every week. It's some sort of new project. But you're saying having them throw themselves into something that they find meaning can help them create that, creating that shield, essentially. I think so. I mean, being able to get to the end of the day and be like, look what I did, right? And then sometimes it's super fun stuff, which is wonderful. And baking's so fun because you have like, ta-da, there's the product, right? Yeah, (laughs) I made that happen. Um, The board is great. I also think, you know, having them do things that they know are important, right? So it may even be things like helping around the house to say to a child, listen, you're 13, your sister is nine. She needs you. I'm going to ask mm-hmm. your help. I'm mm-hmm. going to ask you to, you know, she doesn't like when I sit with her to do her homework, but if you've got time, I need you to sit there to do the homework with her. You know, we don't always lean on our kids in that way. Yeah. But if it's I, fair, been, yeah. I've been doing it all wrong. I've been, why did you guys not take out the trash today? <laughs> Nobody unloaded the dishwasher. I'm losing my mind. Give them jobs. <laughs> Give them jobs. Give them jobs. And, Even yeah. little kids can have jobs. We, um, my, my younger daughter's she doesn't have enough chores. I, I can tell you that. But one of them is we call her toilet paper Santa. Like it is her job to deliver toilet paper to all the bathrooms in the house, right? So it's a good job. Yeah, it is a good job. But like toilet paper Santa, <laughs> we're running low. That's her job, right? So you can definitely build from there. We need to be building from there. I so and so, so what would your third thing be? Okay, so the third thing is a sense of like predictability and control, like a sense that they know what's happening at home, that life within the house feels reliable and predictable. 
And and so that's where we just have like when we get up, you know, we brush our teeth, when we take our showers, you know, when we sit down and do school, when we do our homework, you know, eating together as a family or having a routine around dinner and having a reasonable bedtime routine. But, you know, this is good for kids under all conditions, but especially when the rest of the world feels yeah. so uncertain, that sense of, okay, but here I am in my two-foot world and I know what's going to happen. And I actually remember, so right when I came out of college, I... Um, I worked in New Haven as part of a research team, and we were researching um, families in, you know, intense inner city poverty in New Haven. And to do my research, I would do it in home. I would go to people's homes and apartments, really, to um, collect data because these were families who were so stressed by the conditions of poverty that being like, well, why don't you come on into the clinic and I'll ask you my questions? Like, that was not uh -huh. fair uh -huh. or you know, yeah. practical. So I did all of my research by collecting data in home. And so I spent the year after college in inner city apartments. And the range was really broad. And occasionally, you know, you go up the stairs and it would just be really dirty often and, and smell yeah. bad. And there was always the beep of the fire alarm, of the smoke alarm that needed a battery. You know that beeping yeah. sound? Yeah, yeah. That was a constant in the mm. homes in the mm. hallways of the homes oh and gosh. often in the homes. Yeah, I mean, just it was, like an, it was like background noise. It was always there. Every once in a while, I would enter into these apartments, and they were often small. And inside, once you got in the door, it's like you crossed into a different universe. Wow. And it was, all, it was moms, mm. mostly. But within that world, I encountered moms who had things like, like completely locked down, totally cared for, totally manicured, in like, you know, there was order. There was just order right, in the home. Right. It was clean. The kids knew where they were supposed to be. The kids knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, the house was in order. I felt it was it's it was just it was just a totally different from one foot to the next. Like literally like yes. you, you come yes. into the apartment and you think, oh, this is really interesting. Like this person, oh. even in this otherwise chaotic environment, has wow. has has the resources of the wherewithal to make life within this space predictable Amazing. and controlled. Wow. And you think, oh, yeah. and as soon as you're in those environments, you're like, oh, this kid's going to this kid's gonna make it out, right? Like you really wow. see it. You see yeah. it when you're in the apartment, you see it. So we can do that in any variety of homes if we've got the wherewithal and the resources. And it matters. It matters. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you talk about the social lives of kids, mm. this mom talks about being locked in, right? Especially now in the winter, I know playdates that might normally have happened aren't happening. Kids aren't hanging out. You know, no one's in the schoolyard playing flag football. Things are, are changing, especially with winter coming. What do you worry about from a social mm. standpoint? So it's very developmental what my worries are. So I would continue to say, I will persist in saying that probably – Fifth grade and younger, I don't worry that that much. You know, mm. the, those kiddos are still like, yeah, mom and dad are pretty cool. Like, you, know, like you guys yeah. can be my friends. Right, right. Um, okay, middle school, Rena. I have to tell you, I've just, yeah. it's so clear to me, it's so hard to be a middle schooler in the pandemic yeah. because you're so anxious under normal conditions about where right. you fit in. And then right. one of the things, and I hate saying this, but I'm seeing it, as kids' anxiety ramps up about, their social connections in middle school and where they fit in, 
I'm hearing about, I'm witnessing more icky online behavior um, uh, among middle schoolers. And, yeah. and a lot of it is like a gang up, you know, like a whole bunch of kids mm-hmm. will decide, you know, to like fire a friend. And then you they know? doggy pile on. Yeah. And, it, and you're just like, oh, man, like that is the worst glue, right? Like that you're trying to make glue in the relationship by all of us being against that person. And I'm like, I get it that you kiddos need glue right now, but like, come on. Right. Yeah. And, and. I do think most of that will sort out, but it's exquisitely painful to be excluded in middle school. Totally. Everyone Ex- knows that feeling, right? Everyone I just knows think that we get that. Yeah. And and you know like it it it, it kind of leaves a mark. <laughs> I hate to yes, say it, but it kind of leaves does. a mark and everybody it knows it. Yeah. And so I think we're going to see more of that. You know, which doesn't mm. mean they're not going to be okay and they're not going to thrive in high school. But I think we need to be realistic that we probably are going to have a cohort of yeah, <laughs> sixth, seventh, and eighth point. graders who have a little bit more of a cringy feeling when they think yeah. back on middle school. Yeah. And the only positive thing I'll offer for that is those of us who have gone through it and know what it's like to be an outsider and be bullied or whatever, it's some just, I don't know. I, I hope I like to think it helps with the development, but you do have to intervene sometimes and be aware because it yeah. can be so nasty, right? It can be nasty. And check with your school, get some help because yeah. it's, and I, and I, I hate saying that I'm seeing more of it. I am totally seeing more of it. Wow. I can understand that because everyone's online now, right? Yeah. And and they just, they're anxious. And so they're like, hey, let's have a gang up, right? And it's just not good. Okay. Then for high school, I'm less anxious again, right? So middle schoolers, I'm like, hey, high school, usually they've got things kind of sorted in terms of their friendships. And I actually had a high schooler say to me, I, I was actually a high school senior say to me, you know, I just sort of feel like this has accelerated the process of clarifying for me who I'm going to stay in touch with. Ooh. And, you know, just so astute. Yeah, it was really astute and sort of, you know, pulled away from the mix of it all. Yeah. I got my people. It's very clear to me who my people will be after high school. And I thought, that's really cool. So, in terms of long term social trajectory, I think elementary school kids are going to be fine. I, I think most high schoolers are going to be fine. Keep an eye on your middle schoolers. <laughs> this is a really mm. rough passage, is what I would wow. say. So, to wrap it up, Lisa, I'm just kind of curious what can we as parents do? to buffer all this stress? How can we help without getting in the way, right? Um, You're probably going to get in the way, and that's okay. What you're going to do is you're going to produce the ordinary magic. Like, that is really where it's at. You are going to be Violet in The Incredibles, and you are going to try to create that force field around your child, and that is a force field that is made up of you really being crazy about that kid, you giving that kid meaningful things to do with themselves, even in a pandemic, and you creating an environment that feels there's like it's a controlled one and a predictable one. Mm. That we That's what we know. We're not making this up. It's so good that we don't have to guess. Like we know that that is what prevents long-term problems. And when you say ordinary magic, it's not just, I know you always talk about warmth and structure and surrounding the kids with love, but beyond that, like, what are things? Like, is it having a movie night? Is it like, and especially when you, I'm curious also about these middle-aged kids, because hanging out with your parents isn't so cool, right? But, right. But what do you think works when you've seen kids in that age bracket? I think especially like the middle schoolers, right? Who like, you know, like are eye roll central. Yes. So how do we do this with them? So 
you know, first of all, with a middle schooler who's eye roll central, and if you're crazy about that kid, which you are, part of being crazy about that kid is not holding a grudge. You know, part of the challenge mm-hmm. with... Letting it go. <laughs> yeah, like, so they eye roll because they're cranky. And I think you should mark it in time. I think you should be like, uh, you're being rude. But then when they warm up again, and usually they do warm up again, you got to be there for it, right? So so that's part of how we pr- you know produce that ordinary magic, even with a middle schooler, is we don't hold grudges when they're acting like turkeys. Um, and I do think, right, in terms of purposeful stuff, school's where it should be at for them. In middle school is the time where kids really start to get their school skills and that what we would call executive functioning skills in psychology, like their ability to stay organized, their ability to stay on top of their work, their ability to, you know, estimate how long things take. Like those things are all coming into place. They should keep coming into place. Go ahead and lean on them about those things happening even if it means it's not that fun all the time with them, they will not feel good about themselves if they don't start to do those things better and better. And they're actually going to be feeling it academically if they don't start to develop those skills. So, you know, when we think about the ordinary magic in there, it's really like, don't let them off the hook entirely, right? So not necessarily holding them to the same standards we always would, But giving kids a free pass and not expecting anything of them right now will actually not be a helpful thing. It is not letting them be purposeful. It's not helping them to be purposeful. I love some mom posted on Instagram this week. My kids are thriving because they're actually surviving a pandemic at this point, you know, putting into perspective what really matters. But I love this ordinary magic, and I've got to rethink how to get them to do the dishwasher unloading. (laughs) My strategy clearly is not the right one. So Lisa, what do you have for us for children everywhere? All right, I have blessingsinabackpack.org. This is an organization that is a longstanding organization that has worked to get meals to kids on the weekend for kids who typically get their meals at school. So they've been around for a long time. They have significantly expanded their efforts under COVID because a lot of kids aren't going to school. So blessingsinabackpack.org, especially thinking about the holiday breaks coming up, even for kids who are in school, I think that's where we want to be focusing our attention this week. That's a great cause to put your money towards. So Lisa, what about parenting to go? Okay. It is work to make ordinary magic. So as much as I am sold on that idea, I promise that's the way we want to go. You can't make ordinary magic if you are not taking good care of yourself. So what we need to do as parents, if we are going to buffer our kids, if we are going to shield them from the pandemic, we have to be good to ourselves. We need to be getting enough sleep. We need to be taking some time for ourselves. We need to be getting activity and talking to the people who sustain us. So if you feel like your kid is having a hard time, my advice to you, actually, go take care of yourself so that you can do what needs to be done. Children do not do better than their parents are doing. Really, really, this is about adults taking good care of themselves so we can take good care of our kids. Put the oxygen mask on yourself before you put it on your child. <laughs> yep, absolutely. Thanks so much, Lisa. And for more information on some of the things we talked about in the podcast, be sure to check out our show notes and also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Ask Lisa Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Ask Lisa Podcast so you get the episodes just as soon as they drop. And send us your questions to asklisa at drlisademore.com. And now a word from our lawyers. The advice provided on this podcast does not constitute or serve as a substitute 
for professional psychological treatment, therapy, or other types of professional advice or intervention. If you have concerns about your child's well-being, consult a physician or mental health professional. If you're looking for additional resources, check out Lisa's website at drlisademore.com. We'll see you next week.